I'm Toby Kincaid. Let's be honest. Big oil runs the world. Power, power everywhere. Nor any drop to drink. This seems to be our situation with a fossil-fueled world. I mean, the notion of holes in the ground surrounded by men with guns. Not a very good way to run civilization, and we can simply ask all of the empires which came before. An energy crisis has led to the downfall of almost every known civilization, uh, because as you expand, you need more and more fuel. More and more fuel means you need to get it somewhere, and to get it from somewhere, you need to kind of impose on other peoples. So this kind of positive feedback loop we saw has destroyed previous civilizations. You know, will ours be destroyed? Will our civilization collapse? Well, so go the roots, so goes the tree. So, you know, it kind of reminds me of this old joke. where They're interviewing this big executive, and he's got a big stogie, and they're saying, you know, um, well, what about shale oils? Oh, yeah, shale oils. Yeah, no problem there. You know, uh, we own the pits. Well, what about a, a sustainable source of coal? Oh, no worries. We own the mines. Get you all the coal you want. Oh, okay. Well, what about uh, natural gas or oil? Oh, no worries. No problems. We own all the wells. Okay. Well, uh, well what about solar energy? Well, uh, solar energy? Well, that's not feasible. Okay. So you see where the joke goes. You know, the people that sell you commodities, that sell you coal, oil, and natural gas, they want to keep selling it to you. It's a big business. So, just as we are now experiencing a reckoning, we have to come to terms with our industrial society and the power supply that's actually going to allow us to continue. Just as, and where we left off our story 130 years ago, were the great father of solar industrialization, the great experimenter and produced such demonstrable equipment, the first man to design and build a solar-powered steam engine that produced over half a horsepower in his earlier prototypes was just an extraordinary dawn, an extraordinary opportunity to not repeat the problems of the, pla- of the past with uh, supplying the military-industrial complex with fuels, as we saw in ancient Rome, where you had to forge tremendous amounts of iron, demanding a tremendous amount of fuel. But what Machaut realized in 1860, is that the sun would usher in an entire new paradigm of industrialization. And so Machaut picked this mantle up and ran with it. Now earlier we saw how he developed this notion of combining two ancient technologies, the uh, hotbox and the burning mirror. Now the hotbox, you know, that's, a, that's an amazing kind of technology um, essentially a wooden box with a glass top and then some kind of absorber, a black piece of metal uh, surrounded by sawdust. And then you'd put that into a box of the same design, you know, the, it's of a wooden box with a glass plate on top and a thermometer perhaps in the center of that first box. And you see you're nesting them. And so this created, it was known you can create very high temperatures. But It wasn't sufficient to do what Machaut was really all about. He wanted to run steam engines. And to run steam engines, you needed power density. 
And for that, he turned to these burning mirrors. So, you know, he admired the technology of the ancients. He was a great student um, of Hero of Alexandria uh, in ancient Greece. Uh, Hero was uh, an extraordinary inventor, as you know, and, and built some steam turbines, a big, um, you know, cylinder, a big uh, sphere that had two jets <laughs> welded on the top, and then it was on a spindle over a fire. You put water in the sphere, and as it vaporized, the vapors would come out each of the jets that were pointed in opposite directions, and the thing would spin. You know, quite amazing. You know, other inventions of Hero, he would take uh, two boxes you know, made of uh, lead or copper. And he'd fill the first one with a bit of water and he would connect it to the second one with this kind of curved tube. And so um, then out of the second one, he had kind of another tube attached that would allow air to escape through the top. And what would happen is um, as soon as the sun hit the first box, it would heat up the air inside and it would push on the water that was in the box and push that water through that curved tube into the second box. And when the second box began to fill with water, it would displace air and push the air up through that exit tube, which was kind of a flute, a little organ flute. And then, you know, and so here's, you have the voice of Memnon, you know, the statues that would come to life in the sun and, and would sing. So the ancient hero did some incredible uh, things, pumping water, siphons, uh, even doing uh, work. Um, but it wasn't enough to run steam engines. So when you when you look at Machaut in 1860, I mean, he, he was inspired by René Carnot in 1850, who described how heat engines actually worked. This it's how important it was to have a high temperature and absorption temperature in the boiler, and a low temperature in the condenser. The rejection temperature would be low, and the and the, the larger the difference between absorption and rejection temperatures, the more efficient the process for extracting work. And he devised this closed-loop working fluid cycle that would go between steam and water and then back into steam. So Machaut was a student of this. He, he loved this. And as he was developing higher and higher concentrations and realized that he needed a better optical system as one of the problems he needed to overcome, he made one of the greatest breakthroughs. He realized that a truncated conic reflector. It looks kind of like an inverted lampshade with the wide end facing the sun. was really an ideal optical system because it would allow the light that came from the sun striking directly, as you pointed it, the direct rays onto the walls. The inner walls would reflect that light onto a center line. So a little vertical axis concentric with the direction that this uh, cone is looking at would be where you put the absorber. So now he was able to get sunlight all the way around the absorber or his boiler, which was, you know, a cylinder of blackened copper typically, and then a jacket of glass set off about an inch, get a little gap there, and it created this greenhouse effect. Now with the concentrator, he could achieve truly high temperatures. So this is where we really see the actual production of power from concentrated sunlight. Now, this was a breakthrough, and it was shocking. You know, it was presented to Napoleon III, who, uh, who was a great benefactor. In fact, the whole French government, the French Academy of Sciences, 
was terribly interested in this idea of solar energy uh, because in that moment, they were in an energy crisis, as we mentioned, in competition with England and Germany. You know, France had to import all of their coal. This was expensive. So when Machaut began to concentrate uh, solar energy, then whole new worlds opened up. Machaut's improved optics opened up a world because it could create high temperatures. And this high temperature allowed him to create again a next version of all of the devices he did before. Now, the idea of distilling water, the idea of pumping water, the idea of pasteurizing products, making them ready for travel. So Machaut had really taken off. Now, he even did something quite extraordinary. Um, he, he used a technology from a fellow Frenchman, um, Ferdinand Carré, who developed a, a kind of a closed-loop absorption heat-driven refrigeration system. And so what Machaut did was couple his concentrators onto a boiler, which provided heat to this refrigeration system. And what Carrier was doing, he was kind of mixing uh, ammonia with water. And then when you heat it up, the ammonia would evaporate. And he'd put it through a condenser and then allow it to evaporate again, only from this other uh, area of the device. And when it did so, it caused cold, caused cooling. So instead of using coal or wood, Machaut realized, hey, I'm going to put my concentrator on a boiler here and transfer that heat to the front end of this refrigeration device. And Machaut, in 1874, created ice from concentrated solar energy without a bit of fuel. Now, this is remarkable. This is earth-changing technology. I mean, can you imagine all the places in the world where there's abundant solar energy and how many people would like some ice? Well, for 130 years, we've had this technology, and Machaut developed it. He, he was the first in the world to, to make ice from solar energy, demonstrating an incredible utility, doing so without any toxicity and without any fuel cost. So these were amazing accomplishments, but Machaut wasn't done yet. As he built larger and larger concentrators and built solar-driven steam engines that got higher and higher ratings, at one of his early prototypes in, in Tours was able to pump 500 gallons a minute. Now, that's an extraordinary output. Now, the pumping height was only about 32 feet, but still, you got to give it to him. That's an amazing amount of power. So this was an exciting opportunity where everyone in the world could provide the basic things they needed to prosper. The, the ability to produce power, the ability to pump water, the ability to distill water, uh, the ability to make ice. You know, all of the basic foundations of our industrial need, Machaut was building and demonstrating. Now, this is extraordinary. Well, there's even a bigger thing that Machaut innovates. And even to this day, we don't do what he so clearly and so beautifully set forth. And that is Machaut, in trying to work on the problem of how do you store solar energy for when it's cloudy or during the night. You know, this has always been a problem in France that vexed his solar machines. They worked very well with these concentrators in direct sunlight. But when it was cloudy or at night, you needed some kind of storage medium. Now, 
they've been kind of rolling around the idea of some kind of material that would absorb the heat and then release it later, that if you could store that heat in some insulated vessel. But Machot went far beyond that. Now, Machot was a great, uh, a great admirer of Michael Faraday. Now, Michael Faraday in London in the 1830s, really, he's the father of, of, of electrochemistry. He's the Faraday's law. He's the, he's the father of induction motors and generators. Faraday is the master when it came to the nature of electricity and, uh, and the chemistry of the world around us. And one of the big, one of the many innovations of Faraday was the development of an electrolyzer. Now, what this device did is it chemically disassociated water. So if what you do is you add water and you add electricity, and you can disassociate water into its two gases, hydrogen and oxygen. Now, Faraday had even developed the opposite reaction where he had a device called a fuel cell where you fed in the hydrogen and oxygen and you get a lot of energy and the water back. So here we have actually the chemistry, the stoichiometric redox half reactions that allowed you to have a chemistry based on water. You put energy into water and you get two fantastic uh, elements. You get hydrogen and oxygen. The perfect fuel, the oxygen could be used uh, directly with the hydrogen, producing your water back in combustion, or you could use the oxygen for industrial purposes and have the hydrogen fuel. So here we have Machot going through the steps. Now he needed to produce electricity, and here it's only 1874. So how is he going to produce electricity? They didn't have solar electric cells. They didn't have photovoltaic cells, well, really as, a, as something you could buy until 1950. That's many, many decades after 1874. So that wasn't really an option. And in fact, the solar electric cell wasn't even understood until Einstein wrote his uh, photoelectric effect, that paper, in 1905. So we're still decades before this is even understood. Even though another Frenchman, Bacquerel, he actually kind of described and, and discovered the photoresponse of selenium. And so it was used as very, very uh, early light meters uh, for the, you know, uh, the blooming photography industry of the time. But Machot loved Faraday, and Faraday's work pointed the way. So Machot made another fantastic leap. He wanted to create solar-driven, solar-produced electricity. And what he did was borrow a technology that was kind of, kind of described by Seebeck in, in the 1820s, and that was the thermoelectric power converter. Now, a thermoelectric power device works by taking basically two dissimilar metals, like let's say copper and iron, and you weld them together, and then if you apply a lot of heat on the junction, it produces electricity. My goodness. So Machot uh, used these Seebeck devices and built a stack of these alternate materials that were welded, and he would concentrate, he put that in his boiler, where the boiler was, in his truncated optics, and that would concentrate solar energy on all sides, on all parts of the junction, and the thing produced an enormous amount of electricity. And by enormous, I mean a substantial amount, a significant amount, a practical amount. So now he could drive Faraday's electrolyzer and produce the fuel of the future. For my goodness, Machot 
is now making rocket fuel using thermo, thermoelectric concentrate. He's using thermionics to produce rocket fuel in 1874.